Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us, or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. It's going to be several days because here's the deal. The, the, the rain may end in the next 24 hours, as some people uh, predict. Uh, but listen, the flooding is going to continue because there's high water that will continue to rise uh, as it heads towards the Gulf. Also, as you see, uh, this storm is moving eastward. Uh, and so for a state, uh, we have, in addition to, to Harris County and Houston, we have to worry about flooding in the Beaumont area in, in the eastern part of the state. And we will have to continue search and rescue missions all the way across uh, the state of Texas from Houston to the border of Louisiana. Buck Sexton with you all now. Thank you so much uh, for joining. That was Texas Governor Greg Abbott talking about the latest in and around Houston, and as you got from that soundbite, it is not just Houston. It is now uh, a wide swath of the uh, southeastern uh, Texas area and going into Louisiana as well uh, that is just getting pummeled with these rains. 51 inches of rain uh, so far, 14 people confirmed dead and Unfortunately, that number is likely to rise as the floodwaters recede, and we'll get into when that may happen. It's likely there will be more found to have drowned in this. You have tens of thousands, at least 30,000, it's believed, in the Houston area as of today seeking shelter. You have some shelters turning away busloads of people because they are so full. And this is uh, a record-setting situation and, of course, a record-setting Uh, tragedy along with it, uh, but a record for a tropical storm uh, in terms of the amount of water dumped on southeastern Texas, on on Houston and its environs. Uh, And we are still not out of the woods yet on this. Uh, The country is watching with bated breath as we wonder when the floodwaters will begin to recede. It is likely uh, flooding is expected to peak tomorrow or Thursday, which means it is likely to continue to get worse uh, for the next 24 to 48 hours. And there are some looming possible catastrophes here involving levees and dam overflows. Uh, A levee break has already been reported in Houston, and there are are some real concerns about major dams. And uh, Governor Abbott spoke to that issue today as well. We are deeply concerned about those dams. They've been constantly monitored, uh, and and, uh, we're continuing to work with them, uh, releasing water uh, so we can make sure that uh, the dams are not breached. Uh, But this is going to be a minute-by-minute process with regard to those dams. Uh, But uh, uh, listen, the, the whole county is inundated right now and so our top goal remains one thing and that is making sure we do everything we can uh, to rescue and save every life 
That's right. Saving lives, priority number one. Everything else, property, uh, you name it, that is a, a should be and is a distant second to saving lives in the Houston area right now. Of course, for many in the media, this is all about politics right away. We can't even just come together as a nation while the floodwaters are still rising without all kinds of uh, political posturing, criticisms, and uh, propaganda using this storm, using this suffering to try and advance a whole bunch of narratives uh, on the left. No surprise there. Democrats see this particular crisis as an opportunity for more of their uh, progressive proselytizing. Uh, but uh, President Trump was down in Texas today, and uh, here's what he had to say about the relief efforts. Welcome to Texas. So nice, Governor, and it's uh, really my honor. This is a very special place of a special state. And uh, Senator Cruz and Senator Cornyn, thank you very much. And I can tell you that my folks just telling me how, how great the, your representatives have been in working together. Uh, it's a real team, and uh, we want to do it better than ever before. We want to be looked at in five years and ten years from now as this is the way to do it. Uh, this was of epic proportion. Nobody's ever seen anything like this. And I just want to say that working with the governor and his entire team has been an honor for us. It's absolutely true. It is of epic proportions. It is it is near biblical in terms of the flooding. It is terrifying what's going on there. I'm sure uh, many, if not all of you, have already seen some of the footage, the photos of what's going on in Houston and the surrounding areas in terms of how high those floodwaters have gone. There are uh, dramatic rescues uh, underway still, and of course there are also uh, unfolding tragedies as some people uh, lose their homes, lose all of their possessions, and in some 14 cases so far, lose their lives. Uh, the federal government response, as well as the, the local response here so far, has by, by all accounts been uh, serious and robust and uh, President Trump has been on this from the beginning. I, I was disheartened but not surprised to see today there are some out there who have the kind of platforms where they can get the word out about relief efforts, about relief funding, about what this storm is uh, is doing and uh, telling the stories of our fellow Americans, of our fellow human beings who are trapped in this. But instead... Some of those journalists decided that this was an opportunity to criticize Donald Trump for going down there. If he didn't go down there, they'd criticize him even more. So there's no honesty in that criticism. But I don't want to get on the on the political side of it right now. We will, because that's where the conversation has turned. But first and foremost, the situation on the ground in Houston is by far our top concern. We will have someone joining here, assuming he can get through. And it's a bit uh, it's chaotic down there, but we should have someone joining us from the ground in Houston in just a matter of minutes to update us on what the situation looks like there. Uh, but this problem of the dams, as Governor Abbott said, it is minute by minute and it is a very dangerous situation. I, I have uh, read about the possibility in the past because of my counterterrorism background of dam attacks as a possible um, as a possible means of 
a weapon of mass destruction, essentially. If a dam were to come apart, the flooding caused by it uh, is, of course, a, a very real concern, a very real issue um, that could have catastrophic effects. And in this case, it would be Mother Nature destroying a dam. Um, but here we are. Um, the possibility is very real that one of these dams will fail. You have reservoirs with water climbing six inches an hour, and you have what is being called a thousand-year rainstorm underway in the Houston area. Roads, bridges, buildings are coming under major pressure, and some are buckling from the floodwater pressure. And this is important for us to keep in mind. Officials don't know exactly what will happen. They just don't know. Uh, We are in unprecedented territory right now, and to look at the various responses from the government first you have to keep in mind that no one could have expected this Uh, no one could have thought that it would be quite this bad based on what's happened in the past based on previous hurricanes there are some parts of houston that today were under mandatory evacuation orders it is it is expected that there are some neighborhoods in houston that could be underwater for weeks which we can also assume the cleanup and the reconstruction, uh, the physical reconstruction, never mind the uh, emotional and psychological toll this has had on the city, um, but the cleanup and, and the efforts around that will take months, if not years. So this the country is in the middle of uh, trying to send all of its uh, resources, help, assistance, thoughts, and prayers to uh, our fourth largest city that is in the midst of an ongoing Natural disaster, which is exactly what this storm is. It is a natural disaster with uh, enormous consequences for millions of people. So we are going to continue to update you on this and get into some other topics on the show. Cannot evacuate. And I want to say this again because I guess it's being missed. You cannot evacuate 6.5 million people. Within 35 states. Within two days. You cannot. That would be chaotic. You would be, we, would have, we would be putting people more in arms' way. It, it is absurd. And I think, okay. I, I think I said the safety experts agree with you, but then what is the plan for those 6 million plus people? We asked people to prepare, and they did. There you have Mayor, uh, Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner on the decision to not evacuate Houston before the hurricane hit. Uh, From what I have read and from what I understand of this, and I'm sure there are passionate opinions on both sides of this debate, and I'm just trying to come at it as objectively as I can, uh, that you would just have completely clogged roads, and that's the most dangerous place. Well, I mean, obviously, anywhere near a downed power line, there are some more dangerous places, but being on roads is a very dangerous place to be with rising floodwaters, with flash flooding happening, with uh, with the problems that Harvey had uh, brought with it, uh, the devastation brought with it to the Houston to the Houston area, and you had uh, Texas Governor Abbott uh, backing up the mayor of Houston at this point, which I, I think is in part because, uh, or mostly I would think, just because he thinks the, the governor, or rather the mayor, is correct, but also now's not really the time to be playing the second guessing public officials games while we're still plucking people out of the water left and right trying to save lives but uh, the governor backed back the mayor up on this one 
Do you support his decision not to have a mandatory evacuation? Listen, you, you got to understand there's no way that can be second-guessed because you don't know what would happen uh, had an evacuation occurred. Uh, all we do know is that we need all hands on deck uh, helping to respond to save lives in Houston, Texas right now. Uh, all hands on deck, that's absolutely the right attitude, and it's really the only attitude uh, that they can have right now as we look at what's going on in, in the area. Um, I, there are some mandatory evacuations that were called for today in, in Houston. That's because, as I understand it, and I'm not there, and by the way, we're, we're trying to reach one of our reporters, uh, one of our uh, reporters on the ground in Houston right now, but there's, as you can imagine, uh, there's a lot of chaos, a lot of stuff going on up. We, we've got him right now. All right, so he can bring us up to speed, which I appreciate. We've got Brett Downer on the line. He's a reporter at News Radio 740 KTRH. He's live in Houston. Brett, thank you very much for calling in. Good evening. Uh, please tell us the latest, what's going on down in Houston. Where does it all stand? The number is 52, and that's what people need to understand. The rainfall totals for this storm just hit 52 inches. That has never happened in continental U.S. history. There's never been so much rainfall of any kind of system of any kind ever, and it's, that's why it's produced a flood for the ages. What can you tell us about the uh, current status of the dams? We had Governor Abbott speaking about it earlier today. I know that's a major concern. The dams are holding, they're being watched, but they are releasing water at an uncontrolled rate. In other words, they're wide open, and you have to flood certain neighborhoods, literally, by definition, just to avoid massive widespread flooding elsewhere. That work has already begun. It'll go weeks, maybe even months, to release water from these dams, which will hold, but they must release water to protect from worse flooding. So so they're having to make decisions right now, Brett, in real time about some areas they are going to have to actively flood to protect other areas. That's right. Neighborhoods will do it. Some water is coming in probably as we speak. And what can you tell us about the latest on the uh, rescue efforts? Uh, can you give us some sense of the scope and scale? I mean, who, who's who's in place trying to help out? How many operations have they run today? All that kind of data. Agencies of all kind have come in to help with the uh, local and state officials. The, the Cajun Navy from Louisiana, which my brother-in-law is a member of, as a matter of fact, rolled in at 7 o'clock last night. They're helping. There's been over 3,500 water rescues, and by that I mean by high-standing truck or by boat or by Coast Guard helicopter, but whatever what it means necessary to get people out of homes. There are probably thousands more. That's a guess. There are more than th- I'm sorry. Go ahead. More than 30,000 people are in shelters right now. They're not turning anyone else away, but they want to open two more of similar size because they think they need supplies for at least 10,000 more uh, evacuees, shelter seekers. We've got Brett Down on the line. He's a reporter at News Radio 740 KTRH, and he's live in Houston, bringing us up to speed on the situation on the ground there right now. Uh, Brett, what is the latest in terms of the weather? Uh, my understanding is that it's still raining and there's more rain expected. There is some. It is starting to slow down, and I'm sure I've had nothing but uh, a bad news to tell you during this entire phone visit. The one good thing we have is that the rain is tapering off, and even that is a dramatic improvement from that 52 inches that got us here. It is moving, unfortunately, to someone else to rain on, but it will finally give relief maybe in the next 24 hours on an area that is utterly soaked. And has this uh, this has spread now well, well beyond Houston to some other areas too, right? There, there. I'm seeing Louisiana uh, up to Louisiana has gotten heavy rain. Is anywhere else underwater? Is anywhere else uh, getting missed in the headlines right now in terms of major flooding? 
Sure are. There are suburban counties to Houston. People think the big city, the Astros, the Rockets, uh, to the northeast of Houston, immediately to the southwest of Houston. There are counties that have lots of waterways and lots of residential development. Most of those have substantial flooding uh, that's about to happen, already happened, or at risk of happening. And the worst flooding is expected in terms of the actual height of the water in Houston will be when, Brett? Uh, depends where you are, really. Uh, as I've uh, been, been telling people, the best illustration is every single waterway in the entire Houston region, lake, river, pond, bayou, every one of them at record levels of flood, uh, excuse me, at, re- at flood levels, half of them at record levels of flooding. Never seen so high. Well, Brett, our uh, thoughts are with the people of Houston right now all across the country. We very much appreciate you calling in. This is Brett Downer from News Radio 740 KTRH uh, down in Houston telling us what's actually happening there. Uh, Brett, we appreciate it. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you. Uh, we have Mary calling in from Houston. She wants to tell us about what's going on uh, from her perspective. Mary, thank you so much for calling in. Hope you're. How are you doing? I'm doing fine myself. We had water close to coming in, but it did not come in. Um, I made it out today for the first time to um, try and make it to a store. And the first three stores I went past had lines down the street to get into it. Um, And that was in the rain, people in the rain waiting to get into a store. Um, And then I passed by those stores. I found a dollar store that was open went in there to try and just see what I could find in there. And what really caught my attention was that the other shoppers in the store were clearly filling up their baskets with things that they could take to a shelter. Um, uh, can I ask you, and I, and I mean this in all seriousness, was were the dollar store items still a dollar or close to it? Because there have been reports about a lot of price gouging, $10 a gallon gasoline, $100 for a case of water, that kind of thing. I haven't seen that, but I haven't been out. Today's the first day that I got out. And uh, were you were people, were you talking to people at all to get a sense of where they were coming from? Or is everyone kind of just focused on themselves, minding their own business, trying to stay uh, away from the worst of the floods. I mean, what other um, what other perspective people, can you give us? People were being incredibly generous to each other from what I could see. My husband went into a store that I stayed in the car for, and um, when he went into that store, he said that um, one of the people in the store said something to the shop owner, and it was a small shop, um, and he said something, it, not he, but the Customer said something to the shop owner that they couldn't find any bread. There's no bread to be found. And the shop owner said, I think I have some, went in the back and came back and gave them half a loaf of bread. So are you staying in your in your home right now, Mary? Or are you having did you have to go seek shelter elsewhere? No, I'm in my home. Um, water came close, but we're good. We did not flood. And I moved back to Houston a week ago. Everything's still in boxes. So um I'm not used to this from Houston. This is not what I remember from Houston. Um, during the midst of the, of the um, I forget what night it was. but it was, Mary, can we keep you through the break just to finish your thought? Because we have to go into a hard break here with our station. But can, we, can you tell us? All right, we got Mary in Houston telling us what she's seeing on the ground there. We'll get into that and uh, more, including the political response to this, the politicization of this, the calls about climate change that are going out now. Back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Buck Sexton here. We are talking about Houston 
Um, we're going to get to Mary, who's down in Houston, telling us what she saw. She ventured out today in just a second, but we had to uh, put the phones on hold for a minute. We've now opened them all back up. So 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. You want to talk to us about uh, anything going on. Uh, as a result of Hurricane Harvey, um, please do call, especially if you're in the area and can lend some uh, some insights some firsthand experience as to what's going on. And with that in mind, we've got Mary, who is down in Houston. Mary, can you tell us what, what part of Houston, roughly speaking, are you in? Um, I'm centrally located near the 610 area. So gotcha. it's, not, it's not out too far. And I think that the roads are better more in town than they are out, particularly towards some of the reservoirs, which are going over their banks. So what were you telling us about, you said your, your husband also ventured out to the store, so people are able to get around and try and get some uh, some food, try to get some necessary supplies. They're trying now, but I can say it's Saturday night, I think it was. It was just tornado warning after tornado warning, and I could not believe how many there were. And then I heard the um, newscaster say that in their entire career, they have not called this many as they have in one night equal to their entire career there were that many tornado warnings it was so many of them and uh what the situation right now is the rain is is slowing down a bit but the waters may still be getting higher are you seeing the waters change at all in your area in my area it's gone down okay well that's good area i don't have it directly upon me but i know that specifically areas that are you know near the reservoirs not even near but just down the area from reservoirs they're going to get flooded from that and mary before we let you go uh anything that you just want everyone listening across the country to know about what's going on down in houston or anything you wanted to say well one thing i don't think people understand is how big of an area this is this is not a small area that's being affected houston not only is the fourth largest city in the united states but geographically, it covers a large, large area, a very large area. So this is not just happening to a small little section of a, of a state. This is a huge area that this is happening over. All right, Mary, uh, you stay safe. God bless, and thank you very much for calling in from, from Houston. We appreciate it. Thanks. Just to put this uh, in further perspective in terms of how much rainfall is going uh, has gone on there, Seattle, which is famous for getting rain about 150 or so days a year, had a, has an average rainfall of close to 40 inches a year. And it had a, the rainiest year ever just occurred in Seattle, I believe, last year. And it was 45 inches of rain in Seattle for its rainiest year ever, for the whole year. Houston's been hit with 52 inches since this thing started. So our, our, our rainiest city over the course of a year got its biggest rainfall over, the, over that year since we've been recording it. And Houston's gotten more rain in the last few days. It's... it's uh, astonishing it's terrifying uh what's what's happened there um and it is the really the only story that uh the country is uh deeply focused on right now journalists all across the country and and many i know are on the ground there trying to do some excellent reporting and this is where you see the best and the worst uh you see the best and the worst of humanity on display mostly so far i have to say it's overwhelmingly 
been the best. It's been it, it has been our first responders, police, uh, emergency services, National Guard, uh, people just taking out their rowboat or their kayak or uh, as I uh, their jet ski, as I've seen in a photo that's making the rounds today. Uh, the Cajun Navy on on the scene doing everything academy, mostly the best so far. And that has been uh, coming across. And, and here's here's a mother who was rescued by some of these first responders. Uh, here's what she had to say. This is uh, Liam and Charles. I'm so glad you all are safe. Oh, absolutely. We were uh, trying to wait it out because we live in a in a three-story house, but the water since this morning at 6 a.m. has just been rising faster and faster, and we decided at the last minute to leave. You guys want to say hi? Hi. Say hi. Hi. And the first responders were great. They were talking to the boys and trying to kind of get them to escape the reality of things, telling them, oh, it's a fun boat ride, and, you know, tell them things about the boat, and, and you know, they're awesome. I can't say enough about the first responders. They're wonderful, really. Uh, I can't imagine anything more uh, fulfilling and rewarding as a first responder with whether, you know, 20 years or 20 days on the job, all the, the training you do, getting to uh, pull Houstonians getting to pull men, women, and children uh, out of a very difficult situation, bring them to safety. That's got to be an incredibly satisfying uh, experience for them. And obviously, the people that are being saved, that are being pulled out to safety, are are, uh, incredibly and eternally grateful. Um, So that's what you're seeing on, on the best side of this. And I do think that for those of us who are not just obscene political hacks and don't view everything always through the prism of whether this uh, look this is going to get politicized and i'm going to talk to you about the politics of it because it's out there these are narratives and and i think we need to shoot down false narratives about what's happening because when people are trying to construct a certain narrative of events or or the way that this is being handled particularly by the white house and by the president if it goes uh, without any retort, if there's no response, then people might believe, uh, I mean, and I mean across the country, I'm not talking about specifically in the Houston area, they may believe that that's the truth and that can impact uh, the way they view their uh, their government right now, the way they view uh, the White House. So we will get to that, but there has been at least some sense among most reasonable, sane people Um, from across the country who are watching this whole situation and who are uh, thinking and praying uh, for thinking about and praying for the people of Houston that there is something more to being an American than a a, a D or an R, right? There is a a lot more to being an American uh, than caring about what the fortunes of, you know, the next electoral cycle may be. And, you know, we are Americans first and foremost. and, And seeing that spirit on display Amidst all of the the terrifying circumstances in Houston of the loss of homes, the loss of life and the sense of just widespread and growing uncertainty about the future for people. Right. It's once you are saved, then it's what about my home? What about my life? What about my future? And tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, likely when this is all said and done. Are being affected by that. You know, I'm reading reports that 80 percent of people who are most directly affected by this flood uh, do not have flood insurance. 
which will be a whole other conversation about, well, what does that mean? What do we do now as a nation? Are we going to uh, have federal funds that will repair, rebuild the homes of people without that insurance? I mean, that's that's a conversation that is looming that is going to happen. I think the answer, by the way, is yes, that will happen. Um, and there is certainly a philosophical discussion worth having about uh, what the extent of that should be and what the federal government's role is in uh, in, a, in a situation where uh, rebuilding is going to be so necessary. Um, but what we're what I've been focused on for the last few minutes is the the good side of all of this and the inspiring stories. And the journalists and uh, the first responders, well, first responders should go first. The first responders doing this amazing work, journalists who are doing their best to actually pass along the facts, to tell stories of goodness and heroism and bravery, and not to put everything through a prism of whether it's going to hurt Trump or help Trump or just telling us what's going on. I think there's a, a sense of, of shock that some people have given what the news cycle has been like up to this point in this year because of who the president is, that journalists are capable of just just passing along facts and, and telling what is happening. It doesn't always have to be uh, a, an agenda driven narrative meant to help one political ideology at the expense of another. It can just be, hey, America, here's what's happening. Here's what's going on. Here's what's affecting people. Here's who's suffering. Here's who needs help. It, it can be that. And we're seeing that in Houston as well, by and large, not entirely. And I'll get to the not entirely in just a moment. Uh, there is a a troubling side uh, to the media's coverage of this, and there's also a, uh, a, a deeply distressing side to uh, what's been going on on the ground. They, uh, there have been some people arrested for uh, looting or attempted looting, and you've had, uh, you now have the Houston District Attorney's Office letting people know that they're going to up the penalties substantially for anyone who engages in criminal activity, given the situation in Houston right now. Uh, usually you could get for for burglary and this is primarily they're looking at burglary but any ma any major crime committed uh burglary or or looting which is just you know a similar uh similar crime for burglarizing a home you could get two to 20 years but now under the emergency circumstance of houston district attorney's letting everyone know if you try to burglarize a home it's going to be five years to life if you try to loot you're going to serve hard time and a lot of it uh, that is the kind of crap that is completely uh, disgusting at a time like this. It's It's been limited so far, although I have seen some other disturbing reports about uh, about looters and about people that are getting the way of first responders. So that's you you can expect that in a situation like this, that will happen and it, and it has been happening. And then there is the media coverage of this. Now, there is a line. Uh, and I'm not even talking about the political narratives coming out of this. I'm just talking about there's a line between uh, we um, between telling the stories that should be told, and letting the American people know what's going on and grief tourism via journalism. Right. There, there is a difference between uh, showing the challenges and the pain faced by the people of Houston and engaging in a kind of wallowing in their despair for the purposes of ratings. And it's not always a, a bright and clear line for a journalist. And I understand that. But there is a line. 
And I think uh, CNN, at least, or at least one reporter at CNN, got a reminder that there is a difference between those two things and that there needs to be caution in going around and telling stories about what's happening there. Here's, and we we had to, to bleep some of the words here because it was it got profane, but here is CNN interviewing a distraught mother with her child who had just been pulled out of the floodwaters uh, within 24 hours of, of being interviewed. Now you're with your children. We've heard of stories of, of mothers trying to save their children from the rushing waters. Can you ex- tell us how we that was? Through four feet of water to go get them food on the first day. Yeah, that's a lot of But y'all sitting here, y'all trying to interview people during their worst times. Like, that's not the smartest thing to do. Like, people are really breaking down, and y'all sitting here with cameras and microphones trying to ask us what the is wrong with us. And you're really trying to understand with the microphone still in my face, with me shivering cold, with my kids wet, and you still putting a microphone in my face. Russell Flores, uh, it sounds like you've got a very upset family there. Uh, Yeah. Uh, It's people are suffering, and the suffering is widespread and it is all too real and uh, some of the journalists down there uh, need to make sure that this is not this is not an opportunity for disaster tourism for people to watch on their TVs this is to make sure that uh, we know what's going on we understand the stories of what's going on but uh, there has to be a line drawn there and I think that uh, today some journalists got a reminder that you have to be cautious about where, how much you pry and, and how much you interview and how many questions you ask when people have been worried about their, their physical safety and have lost everything they own. Uh, all right, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Want to hear what you have to say on this team. And uh, next hour, we'll talk a bit about the uh, politicization of the relief efforts uh, by the media, which I know we're, we'll get into it. And then also uh, global warming. We knew this was going to happen. They're talking about how it's global warming or, or climate change or whatever they're calling it this month. Buck Sexton, back with you now, team. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, We're talking about everything uh, related to and going on in Houston right now. Uh, Brantley in Mississippi on uh, WBUV. Thanks for calling in. Hey, how are you doing, Buck? I'm all right, man. I'm all right. How about you? Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, Trying to stay dry. Yeah, you're getting hit Uh, by the rain in Mississippi, too, I assume. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting some rain. Uh, not too bad, but, uh, I just want to throw my thoughts and prayers out there to them people in Houston and Texas and stuff. And I know what they're going through because just, uh, you know, we went through the same thing a couple years ago when Katrina came through. And, uh, if there's any way I can try to volunteer to try to get in touch with somebody to go over there and do rescue operations, I'd, I'd gladly do that. Uh, well, I, look, that's that's very good of you, and, and I think there are some, some outfits that, that have headed down there in the last 48 hours, and, uh, you know, if you've got a, a watercraft and, and you can spare the time and the resources and, and the effort to get down there, I think they... I think they they could use the help. I know the Cajun Navy's down there, and so you're you're next door. So I don't know if you can link up with them, but uh, Brantley, if we if we find a way, we'll definitely uh, say it on air and, and try to get you in touch with the right people. I actually, I actually just reached out to a friend in the in the uh, commercial break. Uh, reached out to somebody 
who is in Houston. I'm asking him, look, can we get you on? Because I want to know how people can help, because he's been writing about how people can help. Uh, so uh, we're on it, Brantley. If we find more, we'll get it to you, all right? Yes, sir. Uh, I appreciate talking to you. Both. Absolutely. You too, man. Stay stay safe. Stay, uh, stay safe. Stay dry. Shields high, all right? I'll talk to you soon. Uh, let's get uh, Carol in North Carolina on WPTI. Hey, Carol. Hello. Uh, thank you for all you're doing and taking my call. Thank you. I wanted to say first that I am a retired law enforcement officer, and I, my prayers are with those people there. It's uh, You were talking about uh, climate change. First of all, there is no climate change. God's in charge of the weather. You need to get the book, As America Has Done to Israel. That author has done some really good research. He's went from, he's got it dated from 1991 through Obama. Every time our government officials has pressured Israel to give land for peace within 24 hours, there's been a catastrophic event in this country. There was Rita, Charlie, Andrew, Katrina, the Northridge earthquake, big tornado outbreaks, floods, wildfires. It is awesome to read. And I was going to watch this, and we have just had to go to Israel to try to get them to resume peace talks with Palestine. Um, uh, All right. I mean, I'm unfamiliar with this book, and I'm certainly unfamiliar with the connection you're talking about, but uh, I do appreciate you calling in from North Carolina, Carol, to share your thoughts. So thank you. Um, I... By the way, I've been meaning to say this. If you want to help, you can go to, here's a straightforward, quick way to do it, redcross.org, or you can give $10 by texting Harvey, H-A-R-V-E-Y, to 90999. Uh, iHeartRadio has teamed up with the Red Cross to help our brothers and sisters in Texas in their time of need. So you can go to redcross.org or give $10 by texting Harvey to 90. Nine nine nine. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. They're pointing at you and saying you're asking for money now when you weren't willing to help the people in the Northeast. What do you have to say to them? Well, you know, look, there's time for political sniping later. I think our focus needs to be on this crisis and this disaster. These are people who needed money and who needed funding right after that storm. I covered those people. Many of them, Uh, just like those in Houston, lost absolutely everything they owned. Well, Katie, Katie, of course that's right. And, And the accurate thing to say is that I and a number of others enthusiastically and emphatically supported hurricane relief. The hurricane relief and disaster relief has been a vital federal role for a long, long time, and it should continue. The problem with that particular bill is it became a $50 billion bill that was filled with unrelated pork. Two-thirds of that bill had nothing to do with Sandy. And and what I said then and still believe now is, is that it's not right for politicians to exploit a disaster and people are hurting to pay for their own political wish list Disaster relief needs to be focused on the victims of disaster relief. Of course, exploiting a tragedy for the purposes not just of of ratings, but explicitly political purposes to ram home a partisan agenda is what uh, many of the networks, cable and otherwise, do. 
This is how they are. This is who they are. And there you had Ted, uh, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas uh, being challenged, being pushed by uh, Katie Chur of NBC on uh, the allegation of hypocrisy, Cruz is, uh, Senator Cruz is saying, look, I supported Sandy Relief, too. Sandy Relief, the Sandy Relief package was was imperfect and full of pork. But other, but I, I did believe that people needed help and wanted to get them help. And I think a fair question to ask is, why is a senator from the state of Texas being ambushed on TV about Hurricane Sandy back in 2012, which I should note in the next hour, because I, I just am thinking I was thinking about Sandy today. I, I was right here in Manhattan, in the middle of it. My apartment went dark. I'll, I'll tell you about that in the next hour, um, because it's been on my mind. I'll just sh- share some recollections. What, um, share my recollections of that with you in the next hour, because um, it's it's not it's not news. I'm just going to be telling you a story from from my past involving a hurricane that hit us here in New York City back in 2012. But it's not news. And this is a news show. And Houston's underwater. And Houston's been hit by 52 inches of rain. And people are, are dying. And people are in dire need of rescue. But NBC wants to push Ted Cruz on where he stood on a bill back in 2012. You know, we can't just be focused on today and now and helping people. No, no, journalists want to score some political points. Same thing over at at CNN. Here you go. Is your perspective different now, now that you're seeing this happening in in your home state? Well, well, Jim, it's not accurate that there were Republicans opposed to hurricane funding. Every Republican, including Texas Republicans, uh, agreed that hurricane funding is, is an important and critical role. There'll be time for all those debates in Washington. Right now, Jim, the immediate focus is on preserving life and saving lives. Was that Acosta in that clip? Was that was that he was talking to? Do we know? Anyway, someone over at CNN with it sounded like Acosta to me. I don't know. Uh, someone at CNN pushing on on Sandy. Like, you know, let's talk about 2012 today. It's 2017. The waters in Houston keep rising. The situation is bleak right now. Uh, I mean, I think it will be getting better soon, but it's going to be a long process of reconstruction and healing and and returning to normalcy. And a lot of damage done and a lot of people's lives disrupted. Um, some will be disrupted and, and will never be quite the same. Uh, so for journalists out there to be focusing on this is, uh, I think, just grotesque. But sure enough, they want to make this political. And uh, and you had people pushing on Trump's visit, too. Um, so you had re- reporters who had said, that, uh, you know, people criticized President Bush just mercilessly for not going down to Hurricane Katrina soon enough. And and, and, I'll, and they, they absolutely slammed Bush on Katrina for not going soon enough. So Trump is down there today. And oh, what a, what a big surprise. He's getting slammed for going too soon. This is, I suppose, what we should expect. He's going to Texas tomorrow, and there's real concern that his going there is going to have to divert at least a little bit some resources away from the rescue effort and toward him. Yeah, I think it's premature. It takes resources um, for a presidential trip like this. And some of the President Obama's old aides say they support the idea that the president would go down there. But this is simply too soon. Too soon, they're saying. Does anyone really believe that if President Trump waited till the end of the week, we would be hearing anything from the mainstream media other than Trump doesn't care. 
Trump isn't, he, he could care less about Houston. He's so mean. He's so narcissistic. He's evil. Do you know he colluded with Russia? I hate Trump. I mean, that's as sure as anything else with the media. We could bet on that one. That is a sure thing. Um, you went Bernie Sanders getting in on today. Bernie, I thought Bernie maybe would be, you know, all about just helping people, not making this political. Bernie, why are you going to make it political? Sure enough, he decided, well, to talk about unity, but then he decided to make it political. Or, President Trump is heading there today. Is that- it seems to me that at this particular moment in American history, if there's any silver lining in the terrible suffering that's going on in Houston, it's that we all one country. Yeah. And I am sure that in Houston, whether you're black or you're white or you're Latino or Native American or Asian American, people are coming together to help each other all over the country. We are one nation. And we have got to stop the type of divisions that Trump and others are bringing about trying to divide us up. <laughs> Bernie, come on, man. You were doing so well there. I'm with him 100%. I was saying this in the last hour of the show. We we're seeing some some beautiful cohesion. We're seeing the bonds of of deep affection and concern between fellow Americans and uh, Americans and their fellow human beings. I know there are some non-Americans, of course, down there, too, people from all over the world and everything else. But you're seeing real bonds of concern and affection between people who are going out of their way to help one another, who are dealing with a difficult situation. And, and it is a unifier. Extreme circumstances like this do bring people together and do show some of our best side often. Uh, but notice how he then goes, you know, but, the, but you know, it's, the unity's great. Unlike Trump, who's a divider. This is like the old, you know, Hillary and, and Obama before before her would always talk about how, you know, you know, Hillary would be like, Americans need to be together, not like the Republicans who want them to be divided. I mean, this is a, this is a, a trick that they pull all the time, and I guess they figure people won't be able to figure it out. If you're going to call for unity, call for unity. Don't call for unity and then blame divisiveness on on the other side of the political aisle, right? I think that's uh, I think that's you could call that self defeating. Uh, it's even it it almost feels like a um, not an oxymoron in a phrase, but an oxymoron in a sentence. You know, it's just uh, it's it's contradictory. Uh, and Sanders, of course, also you know he's down in Texas, but I said he has to go to Texas, but it's it's too soon. It's too soon. President Trump is heading there today. Is that a good idea? Well, well, like, yeah, I don't know, but uh, you know, clearly, I think. Well, there's one school of thought. They're yeah. still in the middle of it. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I think generally speaking, the task right now is for uh, the officials to do everything they can to protect the people of Houston. Is it too soon for a presidential visit? Too soon for the president to be there? Probably it is. You see these journals, but talk about leading the witness. I mean, they're obsessed with getting Bernie to say, yeah, it's too soon. He, he, first of all, he won't even say, he won't even give the president the, I don't know if you call the benefit of the doubt. I mean, he won't even give him the, the credit due here for just going down. He's talking about unity in other places. And this is a time for unity. We can do the politics once we've made sure no one else is in the water. But Bernie won't even say, yeah, you know, I think the president here, the president here on this issue of natural of natural disaster relief and helping Americans, the president is trying to do the right thing. Won't even say it. You go, you know, I think that this is, you know, what's the time we've got to focus on the relief. And okay, yeah, we we know we all know that. 
but they're asking you about this. And I should note, see, but uh, but um, excuse me, uh, uh, Senator Sanders, is it uh, how how they say too soon? And then he goes, look, you know, put the, the you know, it's about the relief efforts, and I, you know, I don't know if it's really the time to go on there. And then, um, excuse me, Senator Sanders, uh, is it uh, how you say uh, too soon for the president? I mean, they're really pushing here. They're really pushing. They want, you know, pre- you know. Um, excuse me, sir. Uh, could you tell us it's too soon? I mean, they want him to say it's too soon. And sure enough, at the end, okay, it's too soon. What does this? What does this even mean? Why are they so focused on this? Uh, what is the point of it? But when you know that they just they can't they can't help themselves. I mean, this is just the way it is. Their, their hatred of Trump burns so brightly. That they can't, they can't even have a Trump hatred armistice for a couple of days. Just a ceasefire in the political warfare here for a few days has to be all about how they hate Trump. They, they, they can't put it aside. It can't just take a few days here to focus on, you know, and everyone comes together. Do they really think they'd lose a lot of political points if they stopped hating Trump for 48 hours and just made sure that no one else drowns and and we get as much relief effort to as many people as possible and save as many homes as possible. There's still hour by hour, perhaps even minute by minute updates about water spilling out over the dams there. And you've got reporters, oh, excuse me, sir, is it too soon for the president to go down and visit? If he didn't visit, we know that they would be hammering him and saying that he's I mean, it would be it would be Bush and Katrina all over again. We know that we we absolutely know that. And that there's such a focus on this now, um, I think, is. Is uh, just further testament to to how much the media really, truly does uh, hate this president. I mean, it's they, they can't stop. It's it's like it's a compulsion. It's well beyond this is their business model. This is how they get ratings. This is just how they think. It's like their synapses have been hardwired to process information. with We hate Trump. We hate Trump. We hate Trump. I mean, even in the midst of a massive crisis where the suffering is enormous, and this is Americans in Texas, in Louisiana. These are our fellow Americans and and others who are suffering here on our own shores, in our own country. And the primary focus for many, or I shouldn't say primary focus, but a, a focus that is completely inexcusable is Trump is there too soon. Oh, okay. Uh, I guess I'm glad we've established that. Uh, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. If you have any thoughts on this or anything else we've been talking about, uh, Gonna have to hit on climate change because they're they're already pushing this and some really out there stuff on climate change too. I mean, they th- this is the climate change crazies are coming out all over the place because of Houston and saying wildly irresponsible stuff. Buck Sexton, uh, back with you in the Freedom Hut team. Lines are lighting up here. Appreciate that. We'll get to your calls in just a moment. First, our sponsor, uh, 844-900-BUCK, if you want to call in, 844-900-2825. Let's uh, get into some calls here because the lines are... Oh, wait, wait, uh, before before I get into calls, and this is... And, and so stay with me on, on hold for a second. Hold on one second uh, if you're on hold. Um, there's been a lot of fake stuff, a lot of fake news, but not... 
not the kind of fake news that, you know, people are trying to throw, uh, you know, an election or trying to, you know, demean someone or something. I mean, not fake news like that. Just memes that are out there that are photoshopped, right? And there was the photoshop of the shark on the highway in uh, in, in Houston's fake. Um, but I did see some, and, and I think there was also some alligator footage making the rounds that was also fake. Um which, you know, who who's faking stuff, given what's going on in Houston right now? I mean, the, the real footage is scary enough. People wouldn't fake stuff. But speaking of real footage, and I know there's a minor thing, but uh, have you seen, there have these floating islands of fire ants, which are just terrifying. I mean, I would think that maybe one of, you know, that, that fire ants would be in, in big trouble here because, you know, ants, floodwaters, they're, they're going to be, you know, there's nowhere for them to go. Uh, but no, in fact, there are all these photos out there, and I, I've been seeing them, and I believe they're all real, of fire ants making islands of, I, I don't know if it's debris underneath them or just islands of ants where they're piled on top of the, And, you know, this thing's sting, and they can actually, people have died from being bitten by them. I mean, they're really nasty. And there are these floating fire ant islands now in Houston. I mean, it's, it's it, that is, it is gross and scary. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, but if you haven't, I don't, know, I don't like insects, so for me, it's... Um, Mike in Pennsylvania on the iHeart app. Good to have you, sir. What's up? Hey, Buck. Uh, just an idea here, uh, being an airplane person, on uh, why don't they take these big firefighting airplanes that scoop water out of lakes and, and run them over the reservoirs there and dump the water in the Gulf? Um, my guess, Mike, and I don't know, is that given the scale of the problem, there's way too much water, and also you would need to have, these are civilian areas, I don't know if you'd be able to land, you know, I think you'd, you'd run into trouble with trying to land planes in some of the places that we're talking about here, you might even have to worry about hitting people on the ground, you know what I mean? You know, I was just thinking, you know, run them over the top of the reservoir, obviously, scooping the water and just dumping it in the on the Gulf. Oh, you mean just for the reservoirs? Yeah, I don't know. My guess would be that there's not, a, there aren't enough planes that can do that, and they, and they you know, I, I think your idea on a smaller scale would work, but given the size of the bodies of water we're talking about here, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if, uh, I, 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 it strikes me that that probably wouldn't work given how much water we're talking about. But uh, it's an interesting idea, Mike. And, you know, outside the box thinking right now is is certainly warranted given that this is unprecedented territory and no one really knows exactly uh, how how best to handle this. Um, anything else, Mike? Yeah, that that's about it. But I just got remember the Berlin airlift. No, I mean, I look. I'm I'm sure that uh, they're. Yeah, like I'm looking at right online now. There's a plane that lifts 3,100 gallons. I, I don't know how many of those planes there are. Look, you're you're. I'm I'm not saying your idea is 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 is. I I can't judge your idea. I'm just I, I don't know. It's an interesting idea. Um, my guess my guess would be that they don't have enough planes uh, and and fueling them and refueling them to to make uh, that much of a difference. But maybe especially in one of the. Uh, the specific reservoirs that's overflowing. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe it would be worth trying for just that area. But Mike, I, you know, I'm. I don't make these calls. So you got. We got to get you in touch with some of the people who know this stuff. You know, reach out to the Army Corps of Engineers. See if see if it's an idea you can run by them. Thank you for calling in from a Pennsylvania. I appreciate it. Uh, Al in Massachusetts, WKOX. What's going on, Al? Hi, Buck. How you doing? I'm all right. Thanks for calling in. Uh, listen, I just I'm, I listen to your show for a little while now, and I'm really enjoying it. And I think uh, you get a, I always get a real astute opinion when I listen to you. Thank you. 
but that's that's not the reason I called. The reason I called is basically just to say that uh, I can totally relate to the people in Houston right now because not not completely, but just compared. Um, we went through an ice storm. I don't know if you remember in Massachusetts and Boston about a few years ago. And I felt kind of trapped where I was. And it wasn't the same with the flooding, obviously. But I could totally relate to those people feeling trapped. And I know the last thing you want to hear is like something political about it. Because you want just help. You want you want just resources and anything that helps them. I know that video you're playing of that poor woman, I mean, it's just like desperation. You want help in that situation. You don't care about like... Who, who did this? Who did that? It just doesn't filter when you when you're on when you're in the situation. Yeah, I mean, it hits it hits that that very human part of all of us when you see people that are in these uh, difficult and desperate circumstances through no fault of their own and through no one's fault. This is just the way it is right now. This is the weather. I mean, this is what's happening. And 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 there's a real uh, empathy that we can all feel for people that are going through this. And, and obviously, that's why we want to get them as much help as we can. Uh, Al, thanks for calling in from Massachusetts. By the way, on that notion of help, as I've mentioned earlier in the show, iHeartRadio has teamed up with the Red Cross to provide help. You can go to redcross.org or... Give $10 by texting Harvey to 90999, redcross.org, or text Harvey to 90999. Buck Sexton, back here, team, in the Freedom Hut. Uh, Producer Amy had a very good point she made in the break here, and that is that uh, Trump and uh, Melania, uh, First Lady, went to Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, As far as I know here, they did not go to Houston proper because they did not want to get in the way of anything. So all the criticism about going to Texas, he just went down to Texas to help direct aid efforts and in solidarity with the Texans who are affected by all this. He is not, as far as I can see, even vaguely or remotely messing anything up in terms of relief efforts or taking away resources from the relief effort. That is complete balderdash nonsense. All right. Uh, Dale in Florida, uh, F- WFLF. Good to have you, sir. It's actually Jim. Uh, it's, it's actually Jim, by the way. Oh, Jim. I'm sorry. It says Dale. Go ahead, Jim. <laughs> well, I, I just have a couple of things to say. One, uh, I thoroughly enjoy your show. Uh, I've been listening to it for a long time. I don't listen to anything but talk radio. Thank you, sir. And I wish more of the media outlet would actually call it like it is and not how they want it to be like you do. Thank you. But the biggest thing, I, you know, if and I hate this. Uh, this there's a, a non-bipartisan everything right now. There's uh, there's no bipartisan votes. There's no anything bipartisan. Um, and that, you know, I look at it. If, if Hillary had actually won, then uh, we wouldn't be. None of this would be happening. And I have to say that because I have been a Democrat for more than fifty years. And. As of tomorrow, and this is the last thing I'll say, as of tomorrow, uh, I'll be going down to the voter registration office and changing my party affiliation to Republican because I'm absolutely sick of the Democratic Party and the way they're doing things. All right. I'm, I'm glad to hear it, man. But uh, your show was absolutely wonderful. Uh, I enjoy it every day. I, that's all I listen to is talk radio, and, and you're one of the best. Stick with it. Hang tough. Thank you, sir. Shields high, as we say here. Thank you very much, Dale. Appreciate it. Um, very kind call from Dale down in uh, Florida on WFLF. Uh, let's, all right, I said I'd get to the climate change stuff. We'll make this relatively uh, short because it's such so much nonsense. But here, here's a montage of some of the networks on this one. 13. 
We've had now three storms in 12 years that were as bad as this, and a lot of Democrats will be saying, you know, climate change is actually, um, this is the kind of flooding you would predict based on the, the climate change model. So that's another debate the for the, for the weeks ahead that the, the two parties will certainly engage in. Absolutely. If you look at Houston in the last 15 years, it's one of the conversations that will happen. Why do we keep having over the century? It's objectively clear that the president has not been focused only on Hurricane Harvey and the people who we now know have died in the storm on Friday night, of course, we had the parting of Sheriff's Ohio. We had the transgender ban military brand, all this other stuff where when people, including some of his, the people that I'm sure have voted for him, are now facing what, we, what we know is historic flooding in Houston. So I think it's, it's in some ways we're seeing a president that cannot focus on a national disaster. And I should say, I just um, was reporting. Yeah, you get it. So it's, it's climate change. It's climate change and it's Trump's fault. Climate change is the problem. Trump's the problem. We already talked about how they say Trump's the problem, which is just complete and utter nonsense. Let's talk about the first piece of this, climate change. Here is Vox, which is a far-left website, which some of you may or may not be familiar with. They, they like to Vox-plain, which means oh, they're going to explain things to you. Um, and they put out this video on climate change, and here's how it goes. Play it. Whenever we see catastrophic storm like Hurricane Harvey... 30 we have to ask if it has anything to do with man-made climate change. Could climate change be fueling the history-making nature of this storm? We know that humanity's carbon footprint has shifted the baseline conditions of the climate, the context in which every weather event takes place. But trying to isolate the human influence from everything else that's going on can be really hard, especially for hurricanes, or what scientists call tropical cyclones. They're super complex, and the quality of the historical data we have for them isn't great. We do have physics, though. Hurricanes are driven by the transfer of heat from the sea to the air through evaporation. The storm's maximum possible wind speed, or its potential intensity, depends in part on how warm the ocean is. And of course, we're warming the ocean. So researchers expect intense tropical cyclones to become more frequent if we continue to warm the planet. That's one place I think you find a very strong consensus among scientists who study the connection between hurricanes and climate, that the frequency of the high-end events will probably go up. All right, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff in there. Um, so, <laughs> first of all, you'll notice that there's, there's this, this preamble of, the, well, you know, it's, first, it, it's really hard to isolate the human influence. It's really, really hard, and the quality of data is not good. So they're establishing that this is incredibly complicated, and they can't really get the numbers and stuff that they want, but they're going to run with this anyway. That's not how they put it, but that's what's really going on here. They're like, well, I mean, it is it is a little bit far. It was a little beyond the data to say that climate change is caused because hurricanes have existed since long before human beings are putting more more carbon in the air. Right. So we all know that, that that's longest out. catastrophic hurricanes. OK, so they said it's the quality is really hard. And also you'll notice some of the phraseology used in that splainer from Vox depends in part. OK. Let's just assume that it's true that it depends in part on man-made climate change. Is that a is that part two percent of the change? Fifty percent? They have no idea because they have no numbers because they're just like this is a concept that we're going to run with and try to push for climate change based on Hurricane Harvey. Uh, and then e e researchers expect, and they give this whole researchers expect thing in there. But then they say those who are researchers who specialize in the connection between climate and the oceans. Well, yeah, I'm sure those researchers expect it because what the heck else are, are they talking about these days? 
You know, sure, they expect it because this is what they study, <laughs> the connection between climate and the oceans. So, yeah, I'm sure they expect there to be a a, a greater impact between climate change and the oceans because this is literally their area of study. Uh, I mean, when you break down the language, you can see it. And then there are just people out there who are being who are being jerks. You got to Jenk Uyghur from the Young Turks tweeting out, horrified at the human toll of Hurricane Harvey, not sad about billions of damage to oil industry, chickens coming home to roost, climate change. Idiotic on so many levels, but if nothing else, people depend on that oil industry in Houston for their livelihood, and people around the country and around the world depend on oil for their economy, and the prices that are going to go up are going to hurt people. So he's actually a cheerleader for human suffering here by saying he hates the oil industry. But that's too complicated for the left. It is uh, quite a situation when you have many in the media who seem like they want to make excuses of some kind for Antifa, the group of... Uh, black bloc style anarchists who are running around claiming to be opposing fascism. But we've recently seen numerous acts of violence, including what happened in Berkeley over the weekend. Rich Lowry joins us now to talk about this. He's editor of National Review. He's also a syndicated columnist and commentator for Fox News. Up on NationalReview.com, he's got a piece, Stop Making Excuses for Antifa Thuggery. Rich, great to have you back. Thanks for having me. Rich, who's making excuses for Antifa, and what are the excuses? Let's start there. Well, you have a a number of folks on the left who will say, well, they're opposing fascism, so that's good. So their their methods must be, in some sense, acceptable. Then you had a lot of people who, um, after Charlottesville, basically said that you, you can't blame Antifa for their violence, because they're opposing Nazis, and you can't oppose anyone who's opposing just Nazis. And then you have you know, various uh, college professors and others who are just kind of radicals and, and sympathetic to their goals. So I, I think you've seen a pretty unified response from everyone respectable on the right to denounce white supremacy and denounce Nazis. I mean, that's not even a hard call for us. Uh, but you have a lot of people on the left making excuses for, for this violent group. I was seeing pieces, uh, splainers, if you will, from some leftist sites that were talking about the the ideals of Antifa and and clearly trying to downplay that these guys show up at events and it's not new. I keep trying. I'm trying to tell people this as much as I possibly can. There were these uh, radical anarchist types dressed in all black, breaking stuff and attacking people as part of some of the Black Lives Matter protests. They were showing up in Occupy Wall Street. You can go all the way back to the 1999 World Trade Organization protests and mayhem and riots in Seattle. And this group in one form or another has been around, or this idea of people gathering together in all black to attack stuff. But because Trump is president right now, Rich, I get the sense that they get the sense that now is really their moment in the sun. Yeah, I think they're more prominent uh, than before. They're more active than before, and they have more quasi-allies on the left than ever before. And I mean, one of the misunderstandings um, of this group is that they're they're just opposing Nazis or fascists. They'll go after anyone 
who um, they whose opinions they don't like. You know, in Berkeley, they weren't beating up Nazis, waving Nazi flags. They were beating up Trump supporters. <laughs> you know, they they were uh, supporters of the duly elected president of the United States. Going back to the 90s when they were uh, on the anti-globalization kick, they weren't breaking the windows in Seattle of Nazis. They are just breaking the, the windows of random property owners because they were supposedly part of the oppressive capitalist class. They were going after Starbucks, which is a yeah. progressive company. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. So, And they're, they're not even good anarchists because I, I think if you're an anarchist, you should oppose you know, all sorts of government rules and laws, and you should be uh, very pro-free speech. Instead, these people show up when uh, they're speakers they don't like and try to shut them down. Their whole goal is to shut them down. We're speaking to Rich Lowry, editor of National Review, Fox News commentator. His latest is up on nationalreview.com. Stop making excuses for Antifa or Antifa thuggery. Uh, Rich, I have been wondering if, if I'm just overly sensitive to this uh, situation or phenomenon or or if other people are noticing it too whenever I read about one of these protests somewhere ever since the unite the right protest in Charlottesville whenever I want to know more information about who Antifa or who the anti-fascist protests or counter protesters are showing up to counter protest whether it's in Boston or now in Berkeley there seems to be a, a, a dearth of information on who these folks are is this just am i imagining in the imagining this is this because they don't want people to realize that these are just trump supporters who are getting punched or what's going on yeah i think there there's a um a failing on the part of the media where they tend to allied now anyone getting counter-protested or beaten up with antifa must somehow have a fascist tent and again in taint and again in in berkeley these were Trump people. They weren't, you know, waving Nazi flags. They were wearing Make America Great Again hats. Um, and they were literally chased like they were witches, you know, that one of the, the organizers, pro-Trump organizers, had to run into the, the waiting arms of the police for his own protection. And they, they carried him off so he wouldn't be beaten up. This is just a profoundly disturbing, disgusting, and illiberal development. And what's most dangerous uh, uh, about it is is not just the violence, but it's just the, the seeping um, unwillingness on the left to denounce violence on its own terms. You had Josh Marshall, who edits this this popular site on the left called Talking Points Memo, which isn't a communist website or anything. You know, it's pretty far left, but he's a respectable guy, and he was making the case against Antifa on instrumentalist grounds. He, he said, "Well, I like seeing Nazis punched." But it's a bad idea to punch Nazis, not because punching is bad necessarily, but because it helps the Nazis. I think that this is also, Rich, where a lot of a lot of good people go off the rails a bit. Even punching real straight up Nazis is, in fact, not okay unless they've tried to punch you first. Correct. Yeah. If if we're going to have a civil society, you listen to hateful people and then you counter their arguments with your own arguments. That's how it works. But once you say it's okay to punch certain people, well, is the rule that it's okay to punch totalitarians so right-wingers can go and punch communists, and that's a good thing that we should all enjoy seeing? No, I mean, that's a formula 
for uh, chaos and anarchy, and it shouldn't be acceptable. Uh, we're speaking to Rich Lauer, who's the editor of National Review. Rich, before we let you go, I just wanted your take on, uh, if you have a take, cause it's still really early, and so to judge the federal response and the White House's response, everything going on in, in Houston may be a bit premature, but if you have a take on that, I want to know, but I definitely want to know as well, uh what you think about some of the criticisms already. I mean, today I'm reading all these postings from journalists about Melania's high-heeled shoes. This seems pathological. Yeah, it is pathological. It's just the right word. Uh, One, I would really respect her if she wore high heels into a flood zone. That would show she's not going to let the flood get her down. But two, she wore the high heels walking, you know, uh, leaving the White House to fly down to Texas, and then when she showed up at Texas, she was wearing these sort of sensible grandma white sneakers, you know? <laughs> so I, I think it's uh, what we'll probably see more debate about as, as these floodwaters, uh, thank God, eventually recede, is just whether there should have been more uh, evacuations within Houston. I think everyone's giving, you know, the Houston... That, that's not a White House, but that's not a White House correct. call, as you know, right? So that's... Yeah, but I think everyone's giving the Houston authorities a break because they're right in the middle of a crisis still. But that you know that that, that doesn't involve the feds. That's a that's a local call. I will say the thing that's been you know, this isn't a new point, but what's been heartening. You know, a lot of us are worried about the state of our uh, civil society. Are we too isolated? Are we too dependent on on government? This really shows when push comes to shove, Americans are still Americans, and they will go out of their way to help their neighbors. There is an, you know, there are some awesome photos out there. There's one of of a guy, you know, with sort of the hat pulled low, wearing camo pants, carrying a woman, and and her and the woman is carrying the child. It's sort of like she's he's cradling her, and and she's cradling her baby through the floodwaters. Another great, a really iconic photo I saw today, just before I came on air, Rich. And if you haven't seen it, I'll I'll, I'll send it to you. You should check it out. Of a guy, African American gentleman who is on a jet ski who has rolled into a house to evacuate someone's you know 75 year old grandma from the floodwaters so amidst all this there is some really great stuff going on too we're seeing the 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 good side of everybody down in houston as well there's a great tweet with the that um photo of the guy in the the camo with the the woman and, and her baby and the tweeter said don't talk to me ever again about toxic masculinity yeah all right, I like I like that hot take on it. Absolutely, everyone, uh, go check out what's going on over at National Review, where Rich is the editor in chief. Nationalreview.com is the site. Also, you'll see Rich on Fox News uh, shortly, I am sure. Rich, great to have you, man. Thanks for spending the time. Thanks so much for thanks so much, Buck. Um, Welcome back, team. I'm just continuing with some recollections of being here in New York City back in 2012 when Hurricane Sandy hit. And I was right here in the middle of the city, and uh, it, it's something that I will never forget. And I know that what's going on right now in Houston is orders of magnitude worse. And I just, uh, my heart goes out to all the people there that are, are dealing with this, this travesty right now. Um, but I had told you that I was, happened to be staying in a, in a hotel just by circumstance before the event even happened. I, my, well, my girlfriend had been staying there for about a month. And uh, I'm in the right where New York kind of goes into the downtown area. And I saw all these power outages. I went up to the roof of the building and I could see the, the whole sections of New York City, my hometown, just plunged into darkness. And people didn't know what was going to happen, if the blackouts were going to get worse, if there was going to be more flooding, if the winds were going to cause even more damage. Uh, so the next morning, people, as I said, came up looking for power. 
and I realized I've got to get back uh, to my apartment to get some clothing and some things. I hadn't really prepared well for what was going on. And I went back, and I will never forget this. And I lived on the uh, sixth floor of a pretty big apartment building. And there was no power, and we're all used to taking the elevators here. And so we, we, uh, I, I walked in, and I was told that you know you got to take the fire, the emergency, the fire stairs. And the way the building is set up, you have the apartments have exterior facing windows, but the hallways have no windows, and they're all in the very interior of the building. So you have no natural light whatsoever. And I just recall walking up five. Here I am in New York City there's been uh you know the night before there's a blackout there's a hurricane people are really concerned wondering what's going to happen to the city wondering you know how bad the damage is how many have been lost and i'm walking up these stairs in complete uh darkness and i took it all i had was my phone which i was able to turn a little light on my phone and i will just never forget the eerie effect because other people had we had, we had all had the same idea, which is find a, fr- a friend, a family member, a loved one who was in one of the zones with power of the city and go to them and leave the blackout zone. And my apartment was in the blackout zone. And I remember going up those stairs and it was so dark and there were other people and it's just such an eerie feeling. Uh, there was really no emergency lighting inside the building. There was like an exit sign at the bottom and maybe an exit sign at the top of the staircase. But for whole whole sections is walking around it's in complete darkness i remember thinking to myself if something goes wrong in here you know if the wrong person is in here or whatever i mean look you're in the you're in the dark in the middle of a city and you know in a in a dangerous situation in terms of the weather and what it's done to the police force and police response and i was walking around those hallways it was just pitch black and you'd see other people down there it was such an eerie I saw a few other people making their way around the building, and all you could see was their little. We all had the same thing—a little uh, phone light. You know, I didn't have a flashlight. By the way, I have—I since dramatically changed. I have right now. Um, if I were to go home, uh, for, I've got a headlamp, flashlights, you know, food, all kind. You know, edged weapons for hacking down coconuts or fruits and berries uh no i I mean i've got you know all kinds of things that i would uh i would need in a survival scenario uh, because i never wanted to feel like i did that that time around just not knowing what was going on and you know new york uh recovered whole parts of new jersey were just complete whole uh, along the jersey shore were just uh, annihilated by the storm um, whole boardwalks were gone. Almost, as I said, 150 people killed, billions of dollars of damage. Um, but, you know, New York came back. I, I see everything I'm seeing right now in Houston. It's just they've got so, uh, so much more um, damaging flooding on their hands, and it's just relentless right now, and the rains aren't stopping. And uh, it's when you start to feel like all of a sudden the order that you have known around you is slipping away it's eroding when you start to feel that the society and the civilization that you have come to not just trust but rely on is in a sense crumbling around you it's a it's a truly frightening feeling and i i know that's going through the minds of a lot of houstonians right now and 
um, you know, we're going to send money, thoughts, prayers, everything we can, and hope that uh, we can get to them and keep as many of them safe as possible. All right, I'm going to change the tone here a bit because I, I think we can all take a little bit of a respite from uh, the day's events. So stay with me and we'll talk about some, some news that'll uh, hopefully brighten your day a little bit. Stay with me.
He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome back, team. I have a correction to issue after yesterday's show, uh, and there are the corrections that come from either breaking news or just getting caught up in the midst of a crazy news cycle. And then there are the history corrections, and the latter uh, are much more important to me generally. Uh, It's a point of pride that even though I will sometimes get things wrong because I'm doing extemporaneous history, I'm not writing out scripts. I'm just talking to you and saying things as they come to mind. I will occasionally get something wrong. And a uh, much appreciated member of Team Buck pointed out to me that I gave you the proper derivation of guerrilla or guerrilla uh, warfare in terms of coming from Spain and a, a conflict within Spain, uh, but I actually identified the wrong conflict. Um, and this, this happens to me for, uh, for whatever reason, I tend to get these, uh, there are a few different things that come out of uh, civil wars in Spain or, or conflict, internal conflict in Spain. It wasn't really a civil war with the guerrilla warfare. Uh, but first, guerrilla warfare comes from the peninsular campaign of Napoleon. So it's really early 19th century that this term came into popular usage, and it is hit-and-run tactics. It's insurgency by the Spanish, uh, by Spanish natives against Napoleon's invading army using uh, cover and concealment and, and mountains and the high ground and hiding among the civilian population to fight an insurgency. But a little war, a guerrilla war, uh, was a term that was coined from the Napoleonic Wars. What I sometimes get mixed up in my head when I'm thinking about this is that it is uh, the fifth column, the term fifth column that comes from the Spanish Civil War uh, back in the 1930s. And the term fifth column is from a general, a nationalist general during the Spanish Civil War, Emilio Mola, uh, who told journalists back in 1936 that his columns, he had four columns that were heading for Madrid. And he said that a a fifth column, a, a quinta columna from his supporters who still lived inside of city limits, uh, that they would rise up and that they would be undermining the government uh, from within the city itself. So that's where the term fifth column comes from. But guerrilla comes from the Napoleonic Wars, the Peninsular War. And uh, one more thing, uh, Guernica also comes from the Spanish Civil War. Guernica is actually a town in Basque uh, country. And that's the most among the most famous Picasso paintings of all time. So the Spanish Civil War, I think the two most well-known takeaways, artistic and verbal takeaways, are are Guernica, Picasso's Guernica, and Fifth Column, and the Peninsular Campaign of the Napoleonic Wars in Spain, 1807-1814. That's where we get guerrilla, and it means little war. Okay. Um, I also wanted to bring you some good news because it's been a tough day last few days. Not a lot to look at and and feel good about, given what's going on, obviously, well, all over the world, but certainly uh, been been tough here at home with everything happening in Houston. Um, So I wanted to let us take a a breather here as we get ready to close out the show, and, and I'll give you a couple of bits of good news. 
Um, first of all, and I had already known this for a while, but according to the Telegraph, a U paper in the UK that did a, a very large study in the Lancet, which like a British, it's like a British medical journal. You know what I mean? It's like they get all the people and they like put them and the, they got the doctor and they get them together and then they take all of their vital signs and whatnot so they can tell if it's medically sound. I don't know when Aldous Snow joined the show, but here he is. Uh, so 135,000 adults in this British Journal of the Lancet. And they found out that if you eat less fat, you will die sooner. That low-fat diets, which were a craze in this country, certainly in the 80s and in the 90s and, and before then, too. But, you know, low-fat foods. Oh, eat this, eat this cookie. It's low-fat. Eat this margarine. Margarine is disgusting, by the way. Uh, eat this margarine. It's low-fat. Um, that's, medically speaking, terrible advice for you. And that turning to foods like bread, pasta, and rice, which used to be the most recommended in terms of the amount of food you're supposed to eat, it was supposed to be, I think, 6 to 12 or 5 to 11 servings a day of those grains, turning to grains instead of fats and fruits and vegetables, fats being dairy, red meat, just meat of all kinds, is terrible for you. Uh, consuming high levels of fat cut mortality by, get ready for this, 23%. So this is a study that tracked eating patterns and death rates across 18 countries. So I am here to tell you that eating fat is good for you, that you should be in many cases. And of course, consult your doctor or your dietitian. You know, I'm just a guy on radio. Uh, but eating fat, according to this study, is a good thing and that eating uh, whole fats even, you know, butter and olive oil and these things, according to the study, it's good for you. So, you know, here we are. Um, after all of this medical research telling us that it is, in fact, bad for you and you need low-fat diets and that's how you lose weight, I can just speak from personal experience. When I focus on food that is real food and I don't eat stuff that comes in a lot of packaging and I stay away from refined sugar, uh, I'm healthier, um, I'm leaner, and everything is better. When I'm eating a lot of shelf-stable, uh, flour and sugar-enriched crap, uh, things are worse for me. And I'm a celiac, so I've really, had, I've really made a study of this. I've spent a lot of time reading about and, and learning about the different metabolic effects of food. Um, but I'm also somebody who sits here and tells you proudly, you know, I, I, yeah, I drink cream in my coffee. I have bacon every day. I have eggs pretty much every day. I eat red meat at least three times a week. And I do all these things in the last few years and I'm in better health now than I was 10 years ago when I was trying to do some of the conventional wisdom about, oh, you know, don't eat too much red meat and stay away from butter and just food. People should be eating food and food is either an animal or a plant that's what or animal or plant derived that's what food is uh, grain especially grain that's been heavily modified and genetically modified you can read about dwarf wheat which will really scare you by the way um and it, that, that's all the stuff that i think people need to just be on guard against it's so bad for you but we, we have this this is a huge study 135,000 people across 18 countries 
and they're telling you that you, according to this study, will live longer if you eat butter and meat and cream and yogurt and, you know, obviously nothing in excess is good for you, but cutting out these foods, cutting out oils and fats, uh, it's just not it's just not the way it's supposed to go. Here, uh, consultant cardiologist Dr. Asim Maholtra said it was time for a, quote, complete U-turn in Britain's approach to approach to diet and demonization of fat. The sooner that we do that, the sooner we reverse the epidemic in obesity and diabetes and the sooner we start improving health. So, uh, you know, this is from a, a cardiologist consultant uh, who's quoted in the study who's saying that this, we need a, they need a total rethink in the UK. I think we're a little ahead of this in the US. Um, I believe that the CrossFit and paleo community has actually done a lot for uh, improving public knowledge about food. And, you know, I remember I remember going to my pediatrician's office and, you know, my uh, doctor's office after that. And, you know, I, I, I tend to you know, I tended to be a little on the uh, a little on the more zoftig side at different points in my life. And the doctor would say, you know, don't eat red meat. Red meat's so bad for you. Don't eat butter. Butter's so bad for you. And what he should have been saying is don't drink soda, Buck. No soda. Don't drink sugary drinks, period. Uh, you know, eat food that's actually food. Don't eat, don't eat things that have no uh, actual vitamins and minerals in them, but just give you straight calories that spike your blood sugar. I mean, that's what would have been good advice from my doctor. And look, I, the doctor was just passing along the conventional wisdom and wasn't a dietitian. I mean, he was there to make sure that, you know, I didn't have strep throat and that, you know, everything was sort of coming along normally in terms of, you know, my growth and everything. So I just think it's really interesting that there's been such a sea change. And it, it is a reminder, too, that for those who make all these really broad claims about, you know, the science is settled and, oh, you know, science answers all these questions and people that that aren't willing to deal in reality. You know, we need to shut them up because you can't even ask questions about climate change. It's settled. Climate change is an enormously complicated topic that has been wildly politicized. There's no there's no way around that. It has been wildly politicized and. I think that it is uh, largely now a religious belief for people who think their climate change is a religious belief for people who think they're too smart for religion. Uh, it, it fills that part of, uh, of the mind that needs greater meaning than just, you know, wake up, go to work, come home. Um, and for many people, that's actually having a relationship with God. But for climate change alarmists, it's saving the earth, you know, that they, they create purpose for themselves in saving the earth. Uh, but this the go back and look at the FDA's advice on diet and what people were being told to eat for years and how they were being told to eat in this country. And you'll just say that this is appalling. In fact, in a way, I'd feel better about it if it was more clear that big, uh, big sugar providers and, and some of the other players in that market, you know, that want processed food, the big processed food companies, too that they were pushing this stuff and suppressing the truth with their big dollars, I would feel better, in a sense, if that were the case, because I'd rather that doctors were bought off than the doctors were so wildly wrong. Because bought off, we can fix. Wildly wrong is, wow, maybe we need to rethink a bit of the conventional medical wisdom in this country. So I have uh, that bit of eat, eat, eating fat, according to a huge... 18 country, 125,000 person study, 135, 
thousand person study. Eating fat will make you live longer. Eating fats, I should say. Buck Sexton here. I, I told you I'd give you a, a bit of, of news to uh, cheer you up or at least cheer some of us up. I guess it all depends on some of the uh, day-to-day lifestyle choices we make here. But in the last segment, I was able to tell you that big study says that eating fat is good for you in reasonable quantities, of course, but that in general, avoiding some of the richer foods. And you just look at Europeans and the way they eat and their body mass indices uh, versus the average American. And and there's something to all this. Uh, I know the the Europeans have very little to teach us, but maybe a little bit still about food. I'm just putting that. I know that makes me sound like a commie. Buck, what do you like uh, the part of the Soviet Union here? You're saying Europeans better for the food? Uh, yeah, okay, maybe. But uh, point he's a, he's a, you can't trust him. I'm telling you. Look at him. He's trying to tell you to eat, eat all this stuff. I mean, you know, what's he, what's he going to say next? That, you know, you should just be putting all the olive oil all, all over the fish? The answer is yes, Bernie. You should be putting olive oil on your fish. You should not be using weird sprays and low-fat gel or whatever the heck it is it's crazy look at him he's telling you to eat fat uh so i'm sitting here and reading another story because like, we, we need a little break from from the the uh, brutal world that we are all quite aware of right now given everything that's going on and i thought this was an interesting study there's a company out there for enophiliacs which might sound a little little sketchy to some of you, but an enophiliac is just someone who's a wine lover, so it's, it's cool, it's fine. And it's called Pure Wine, and they say they have a gadget that is similar to a Brita filter for wine. This was in the New York Post earlier today. And what it means is that if you use this, uh, the, quote, unpleasant reactions induced by wine drinking may be more common than you realize. According to the company's research, up to 75% of adult consumers experience headaches, flushed skin, or nasal congestion after downing a glass or two. What they're claiming is that some of the side effects and intolerances to wine may be improved by removing histamines and sulfites. Uh, This is according to the company. So they're saying that they can purify your wine for you and that this will mean that you have less of the ill effects, I suppose, of drinking wine. Now, one of the uh, happier things that I've learned in, in recent years, and you've all seen this before, I think every six months when there's a slow news cycle, you'll read something about how dark chocolate is good for you, red wine is good for you. I'm not going to lie. I've never seen anything about how beer is good for you. And I know that's the celiac in me talking because I can't drink beer, and so maybe I'm kind of a hater. And I know that again. Buck, it's like you're not American at all. You're saying you won't drink the beer? This is, comrade, this is crazy. Uh, yeah, I agree. But still, I don't, I've never seen anyone say that beer is good for you. Although, maybe it's just good for America. Um, so, wine, though, is a thing that, red wine, at least, people have said is good for you. And dark chocolate is good for you. But dark chocolate is just amazing, so I don't even care if it's good for me. Um but I would caution against, originally I thought, and the headline on this is, this device claims to eliminate the hangover from wine. And I'm not sure that's really what it says, although there is one person here who claims that. Um, 
the hangover from drinking comes from dehydration. Uh, this is something that I learned from friends of mine in the uh, medical field when I was much, much younger. So the best way to prevent, uh, well, other than not drinking too much, the best way to prevent a hangover is through uh, hydration. By taking Advil or any of that stuff, you're really just dealing with the symptoms of it. And uh, once again, you know, consult your doctor. I don't know anything. I just read stuff. I'm not a medical professional, so consult your doctor before you take any of my advice on any of this. But hydration is, is an, important, uh, an important part of avoiding a, a hangover, and, and that's the primary cause of the hangover is actually dehydration. But I've always thought that, you know, it's probably a good thing that after you uh, indulge a little too much, uh, your body gives you a little reminder like, dude, bro, what are you doing, man? Like, you can't do that. You can't party that hard, man. You can't just, like, hang 10 on that wave all night. Uh, and yeah, that's probably, I don't know why I, I turn into a surfer when I get drunk apparently, but I, I still think that it's good to have a little physical reminder that, uh, sometimes you want to call the party a little earlier, you know, you want to call it quits. At least for me, that's how I feel about it. Um, so with that, now that I've given you the, uh, the study that says that you can eat, that eating fat will make you live longer and that there may be a way to make wine hangovers at least less, less of a thing. Uh, I'm going to close out the show. I will, as always, ask that you please consider sharing the show with a friend. Uh, you spreading the show to others is really the best way for people to find out about it. Uh, I put every, everything I've got into this show each day, and so it really matters a lot to me whenever folks are uh, willing to do me the honor and courtesy of passing it along. Uh, you can always listen on the iHeart app if you have an internet or cell phone connection, just the iHeart app, and you click Buck Sexton with America Now. You don't have to listen live. You can listen on that app whenever you want. Also, BuckSexton.com has a live stream, and BuckSexton.com slash store allows you to buy amazing gear, including mugs. We've got mugs now and T-shirts and hats. So, team, please do check them out. We will have... Much more to discuss tomorrow here in the Freedom Hut. Until then, as always, shields high.